Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. Now, my next guest is one of the most acclaimed singer-songwriters of his generation, the multi-Grammy award-winning writer of such huge hits as The Galway Girl and Copperhead Road. Next month, sees Steve Earle take his Alone Again tour to Ireland when he'll be performing in both Galway and Sligo. And Steve Earle joins me now. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Very good. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. Before we chat, we're actually going to listen to a song we all love. This is, of course, the song you wrote, The Galway Girl. I took a stroll on the old long walk of the day. I met a little girl and we stopped to talk of a fine soft day. And I asked your friend, what's a fella to do? Cause her hair is black and her eyes are blue. That's such a fantastic song. Look, we've so much to chat about, Steve. First of all, can I ask you about that song? I think I could be wrong. You recorded it around 2000. It's since been covered around 150 times. But it's always been said it's semi-autobiographical. So tell us, Steve, who was the Galway Girl? <laughs> well, I think the Galway Girl is actually a composite character. But um, there's, I, I have a friend, Joyce Redmond, who I've known for years. And, I, and she's sort of, she gets to be the Galway Girl as much as she wants to be, simply because... <laughs> She sings in, in sessions and, and plays bar on around, you know, uh, in sessions in Galway. And and uh, she actually met Sharon Shannon through me and, and toured with Sharon a little bit. And, you know, we were she was never we were never a thing, but we've been friends for a long time. And the the meeting on the long walk, that's how I met Joyce. And so that's that part of the song comes from her. So. She gets to be the Galway girl if she wants to be. Oh, lucky Joyce. Did you have any idea, Steve, when writing it, that it would prove such a big hit? It's a weird deal because, you know, it didn't happen immediately. I mean, people, you know, there's like my version and Sharon's version are the same recording. We recorded it, I guess, 97 or 96 or 97. I started coming to Galway in the winter and just you know, staying as long as I could mm. and sitting around in sessions and playing because I've become fascinated with music in Ireland years before. And I, you know, knew Mike Scott and he'd gone out to Galway to, you know, to make Fisherman's Blues back in the 80s. And, and um, you know, the Pogues were friends. That was kind of my introduction to Irish music. And, you know, I found out about Planksty. You know, I had, you know, backtrack from knowing Terry Woods, who was the one, the one Irishman, you know, like, you know, born in Ireland that was yeah. in that band uh, and, and a badass. You know, he was uh, he was just um, a great musician all around. And and he always is. And and I just kind of one of my favorite people. And I learned a lot about the, the trad thing from him. But the Planksy record, getting a hold of that was a life changing thing for me and backtracking to that because I'd missed that. I knew Christy Moore. You know, and bumped to him yeah. all over the place. That's my claim, claim to fame is because of a reshuffling and schedule and Christy being Christy and being able to do whatever he wants to uh, in Ireland. Uh, uh, we were on a festival like in, in West Cork somewhere and it poured down rain and every they refused to move. You know, there were two stages, one indoors, one outdoors. And they refused to move it for me, share it, anybody. Christy shows up, said, no, nah, we're moving the whole thing inside. <laughs> and so he went on when he wanted to. And I had to follow Christy Moore in Ireland and I lived to tell the tale. So that's oh. my, that's the famous. But the Galway Girl's a big deal because 
it, you know, it, it really took off with the Monday version. That's when it became mm. part of, of the culture permanently was with Monday's version because it was a number one record. I, he doesn't get enough credit for that. And I, it's one of those things that I play Copperhead Road every night. Copperhead Road just became a state song in the state of Tennessee, which that's a big deal. So I oh, guess yeah. that'll be around for a while. But but the Galway Girls, the one song I've written that I'm certain will be around after I'm gone, on, at least on one island in the world. And But, you know, of course, they'll say an Irish guy wrote it within a, a generation or so. That's what happened with Danny Boy. And I figured it'll happen with the Galway Girls. Well. <laughs> and we'll come back to Galway, but when you said that Copperhead Road has become like a state song, explain that to me and what that means to you, Steve. It's just a big deal. I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't know where they've heard all the lyrics and what the song's really about. But but actually, a couple of there's a whole generation of people, some of whom are in elected office in Tennessee, most of whom are people I wouldn't politically agree with. But there's a few that I do. And one of them that I happen to agree with and I happen to know did introduce it. And it's become along with the Tennessee Waltz. But my but Copperhead Road is as of a, about a month ago, officially one of them. I went and played played it on the floor of the legislature. And then at the end of it, because there's been a lot going on, there was a really horrible school shooting there mm-hmm. um, a few months ago. And they've been at war about that, about guns in, in Tennessee ever since it happened. And uh, a couple of members got expelled. They've been reinstated now uh, because they held, they led a demonstration from the floor. And uh, I, and at the end of it, I accepted the award, thanked everybody that that voted for it, and it was almost unanimous. And and it was even the people I didn't agree with. But then at the end, I said, but but I'd like to, I, I really appreciate everybody voting for this and everybody <laughs> supporting it, and I'm honored. But but I'd like to to make you aware there's another song, pretty good song on the Copperhead Road album. It's called The Devil's Right Hand, and uh, which is about guns, and it's a big deal. It's it's look, you know, I'm I'm 68 years old. You know, I'm not retiring. I'm going to do this until I can't anymore or I drop. And uh, I've been married too many times to be able to retire <laughs> if I want to, I don't want to. And, and, but it does become about legacy at, at some point, you know, so the Copperhead being a state song in Tennessee, uh, it means something to me. And the Galway girl becoming part of it's played in any time there's a session where somebody sings in Ireland the, 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 you hear the Galway girl. It's pretty much a standard at weddings in, in Ireland now. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's become part of the culture. And I'm I, I'm not I don't think I'm prouder of anything else. I think it's the, absolutely my favorite thing about my career and my life is that that song. It's just I love the music and I love the people that play it. And and I'm I'm really looking forward to, you know, I've got actually four shows at, uh, coming up and I haven't been to Europe since the lockdown. And uh, doing the Galway Folk Festival, I'm doing, I'm playing Sligo for the first time ever. And we're doing Belfast and Dublin as well. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to give all those dates out at the end. And you're going to return to the Salt Hill Prom in Galway next month, as you were talking about. Do you look forward, because I know you lived there for a short while. Are you looking forward to getting back to Galway? Yeah, I am. There's there's a lot of reasons. A, A really dear friend of mine, Peter Pringle, passed away not long ago, who I've known forever. And his wife it just was, uh, you know, Sonny Jacobs. Uh, I introduced him, my only successful matchmaking in my whole <laughs> life. But uh, they, she was, she's American. She, she was in prison for 17 years for something that she did not do in the States. And Peter was in prison in Ireland for 17 years for something he didn't do. And I'm, 
you know, when I met Peter, uh, I said, oh, you need to meet my friend Sonny. And I was kind of joking. And she came through on a speaking tour because she used to speak about the death penalty in the States and and, and opposition to it because um, her first husband was executed and and um, they were both wrongly convicted. And then I introduced her to Peter and the next thing I knew they were married. And uh, But Peter passed away this year. So I, I need to go out and I need to go up to Connemara and see Sonny. And uh, I've got lots of friends in Galway that I'll see for You'll, you know, I got a night off. I'll probably end up in the crane bar or someplace. Tell me about, do you mind, just for our listeners, where you grew up? I mean, I think your background is in Texas, but tell me, do you mind a little bit about your own family, your parents? I think you got your first guitar when you were about 11. Yeah, my family is like, you know, it's Irish on both sides, Protestant on one side, Catholic on the other. <laughs> Good mix. And I, 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 you know, but I grew up. In Texas, my dad's from a, a town called Jacksonville in Northeast Texas, and uh, my mom, uh, born in Tennessee, grew up there until she was 13, then moved to Texas, and, and where she met my father. And I, my dad was an air traffic controller, so they moved us kind of around one region. And so I grew up for the most part in San Antonio, Texas, in South Texas, and pretty rich musical culture there. And you know, one thing it has in common with uh, with Ireland is accordions, because it actually comes from German and Czech immigrants to Texas in, in the in the 19th century, brought accordions and the Mexicans got a hold of them. And there's a whole brand of Mexican music called Cajunto or Norteño music. And so I grew up with the with the accordion as a serious instrument and uh, Cajun music has it as well. And Irish music, and the person, the the people that introduced the accordion to Cajun music were Irish. There was a half Cajun, half Irish fiddle player called Dennis McGee, mm -hmm. who was the first person to record Cajun music with an accordion. So, wow. I just got lucky and grew up in a really, really rich musical environment. I met Towns Van Zant when I was seventeen years old, and um, followed him around Texas for a few years. And I went to Nashville where I met Guy Clark and I met John Prine. And, you know, Ireland was always, you know, the music that I made kind of, you know, I knew that it connect, was connected to Ireland and Scotland. And I became more curious about it when I started touring. And I would just come in the winter and mm. rent a different flat for three months. The first time I, I, I rented a, a cottage in Barna and then I figured out that's not where I wanted to be was out there. And it's pretty out there, but but I wanted to be in the middle of town where I could, you know, go to the crane bar and then go from there to, to you know, to, you know, um, T. Coley and then end up at our snake album for the night was over with and sit in on different sessions every night. That's what I went there for. <laughs> You've been described, by the way, you know, as you know this yourself, as a singer who made country rock cool. And of course, you had massive success with your albums Guitar Town and Copperhead Road in the late 80s. But following that, you didn't write a song then for about four years. Why was that? It, because I had a heroin habit that completely took me out of the world, finally. Um, heroin and cocaine. And when I drank, I drank like an alcoholic. Trust me, it's all the same disease. But I I got to the point where, like, like all addicts do, where there was nothing I could do but hustle to support my drug habit. And, and there just wasn't there wasn't time or energy to do it or space to do anything else. And that's what the disease does. It eats up your whole life. I also didn't have time, energy or space to be a husband or a father during that period. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I ended up essentially homeless. I owned a home, but there was no drugs anywhere near it. So I never went there. And um, I slept in cars. I slept under bridges. Um, some pretty funky motels and just sort of banged around for a, almost four and a half years. And then I got locked up 
And I just, while I was uh, in jail, there was, there were programs that could get you into treatment. Then my lawyer got me into one. I didn't even go to treatment to get clean. I went to get out of jail, but something happened there that changed my life. And I decided I didn't want to die. And that was 28 years ago, uh, as of this last September 13th. And I've been clean all that time. And I still go to meetings and call my sponsor and sponsor people and do all that stuff. That's the only, there's no secret to it. It's it's 12-step programs. That's what I do. You are fantastic, as everyone will tell you, in The Wire. And, it, you know, you said it didn't require any real acting your role. How so? Well, I mean, I played a redneck recovering addict. So <laughs> <laughs> That's why David Simon cast me. Um uh-huh. And then he went on to to cast me in Treme, where I played a street musician, and that was a lot of fun. And actually required a little more acting because it was somebody that could have been me if my life had turned out differently. But it was a, but it was a little different person. And as it turned out, the, my character in Treme had a big secret at the end. He wasn't what he presented himself as, and and uh, that was kind of interesting knowing mm. that about before anybody else did. No, it was a great role. I mean, you're. You're described, you are an incredibly talented singer-songwriter. You're also described as, you know, many times married, record producer, actor, playwright, novelist, campaigner against the death penalty, Trump basher and reformed addict. There's not really much you haven't done. Who backer? Whoa, whoa, back up. Who backer? (laughs) Trump basher. Basher. Okay. I thought you said backer and I was getting ready to sue you. But okay. (laughs) Trump (laughs) basher. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I don't like that guy. I've lived in New York for 19 years now, you know, so we all knew that the joke about Donald Trump in New York was how you make a billion dollars in the, the real estate business in New York start with two billion because he's, he's, you know, the, the myth about him is he's, so he must know something. He's incredibly successful at business and he's not. And most everyone in New York knew that. But people outside the country, they just knew what they saw in reality. It does prove that reality television is harmful. I know, as you say, you're in New York and it's where your beautiful son, John Henry, lives. And I know you fundraise a lot for autism with your band, The Jukes. I think even Bruce Springsteen's helped you in some of those fundraising concerts because your son, tell me about him. He's amazing, but he completely changed your life, didn't he? Yeah, he's 13 now. Uh, He was diagnosed with autism when he was two. His mother and I split up around that time. And for a few years, she stayed in New York and there's services, there's more services for kids with autism here than there probably are for any place in the world, more choices. Mm-hmm. There's a great school called the Keswell School, which he's been in since he was three. And I help raise funds for them because the, the tuition's really high, but it still up, was operating in the red when, when John Henry started the school there. So I started the fundraiser that I do every year, Bruce Springsteen. And this year it was myself, uh, David Byrne, and and we, that did really well too. Uh, we've had, you know, Jackson Brown, Emily Harris. We've had we've had some great shows over the years, and and um, but it's fun and it's worth it. And John Henry's he has autism. He's nonverbal, but he's doing really really well. He's happy and he's he loves everybody. And and I have friends that come to see him because he cheers them up. And they don't oh. come. To- they come to see John Henry. Oh, that is so wonderful. Now, listen, I'm going to give the dates on where you're going, but returning to the West of Ireland next month, your tour is called Alone Again. Does the title of your tour suggest, Steve, you're rooting out marrying for an eighth time? Well, it has more to do with my banquet. (laughs) 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 And uh, my whole banquet after Hardly Strictly Bluegrass. And uh, it was a rough summer last summer. I tour pretty much in the summertime. That's all I can do. 
uh, because of keeping John Henry in school for nine months of the year. And then he goes to his mother. She wanted to go back to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So a few years back, she went back to Tennessee. And plus, puberty was coming. So it needed to be my shift anyway. So I came off the road nine months of the year. And I'm just a single dad in New York. And I'm working on a Broadway musical. And that's kind of my day job nine months of the year. I drop John Henry off at school in the morning. And then I run like a dog trying to get stuff done before. <laughs> pick him up and uh and i'll we'll fly to nashville tomorrow i'll play the grand Ole opry on saturday night and i fly to paris next tuesday and start the tour but the, the alone again thing was was i started out playing as a solo artist you know and I've, I've had bands over the years i don't know whether i'll have another band again i'll make a lot more money this summer and a pretty good <laughs> solo so uh it's one of those things so I'm, it's a solo tour and uh i think it'll be i mean i've done you know i've been through Ireland and, you know, like, um, you know, playing solo before. And so my first trip to Galway was at the end of a long solo tour in in 96 or 97. And that's kind of when I fell in love with the place. And I stayed for a while after that tour and, and then then started coming every year after after that that run. Well, your many, many, many Irish fans are delighted you're coming. They're going to be happy to see you in Sligo and Galway. You're playing the Knocknery Arena in Sligo on Wednesday, June the 28th. Tickets are on sale now from sligolive.ie and from Ticketmaster. And you're at the Black Box Theatre in Galway as part of the Galway Folk Festival on June the 13th. Tickets are available from Galway Folk festival.com. Before you go, we're actually going to listen to another one of your big hits, the wonderful This Is Copperhead Row. Thanks very much for chatting to us this morning, Steve. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you in a, in a bit. Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1.